just awesome. It's so great to see you all. It's great to have Epic here uh, with us as well. It's incredible. Love it. Love it. And just a couple of things. First of all, you know, as we're singing these Christmas songs, it just brings me back to Bethlehem. You know, that's uh, where Jesus was born. And I talked a couple of weeks ago about our trip to Israel. And that's one of our stops, to go to the actual place where Jesus was born. And if this is something you thought about doing, walking where Jesus walked, I want to encourage you to go to the Welcome Center after the service and check that out. Grab a brochure, take it home, pray over it. We'd love to have you join us uh, next year in Israel. It's just going to be a powerful time. As well, there's something else I want us to talk about. Uh, We just ended the series last weekend, We Are. And we talked, one of the things we talked about is that we are family. That we are family. Well, we have the opportunity to truly be a family and operate as a family. Uh, We do. Last year, I spoke about serving. And there was one person in our church I kind of raised up. I don't do that very often to kind of raise up one person and say, well, here's an example of a true servant among us, among our family. And uh, I showed this picture. Could you show that as well? And in the middle, you'll see there with the glasses, Rebecca Freeman. Well, this past Wednesday, Rebecca was doing what she always loved to do, was to serve. And she was serving in an area of ministry here in town. And as she was serving and doing her work, and what I understand is I I talked to her yesterday, a 500-pound container of diapers, if you will, fell down from above and landed on her. It broke her back. She's in intensive care right now. And the family would love us to do a couple things. I'm going to ask for you to join me in praying, first of all, that she will be able to walk again. That's the situation she's in. They've given her just a less than one, uh, 1% chance she'll ever walk again. And, uh, but she is feeling some things here and there. And so we want to pray that God will do what only he can do. As well, for us to operate as a family, there's a website you can go to, caringbridge.org. If you could write that down, caringbridge, like a bridge, .org. And all you got to do there is go there and, and type in her name, Rebecca Freeman. You'll, you'll, be, you'll have a couple prompts there, and you'll be able to stay connected with her. You'll be able to write her, encourage her, and also get updates regarding her status. So you go to caringbridge.org. As well, the family asked me if you would do this, uh, if you have time, that uh, you would go to Matthew 25 Ministries and serve there in Rebecca's honor. If you do that, that's what they asked. And so let's stop right now before we open up God's Word. Let's pray for Rebecca, for Bill and Karen. Uh, her parents who also go here to MCC. And let's pray that God will touch. Dear Father, we thank you that you are God, that you are in control of all things. And Lord, this situation here that happened this past week, we don't understand. We don't get it all. And we know that Rebecca is in a hospital room right now. And uh, she's just hoping that uh, she'll be able to leave and be able to walk again someday. And Lord, that's called a miracle. And, Lord, we place this situation in your hands, knowing, Lord, that you are more than powerful enough to restore her legs back to her, to restore what's broken and bring it back. In your word it says, Jesus, that by your stripes we are healed. And we know that that is a spiritual healing, an emotional healing, a physical healing. And right now we pray for a physical healing in Rebecca's body. Lord, that you would restore, that you would deliver, that you would heal. And Lord, we pray right now for Bill and Karen, for her parents as well. They're just a horrible time to go through. And Lord, may you, the God of all peace, minister your peace to them. 
May you, the God of all strength, minister your strength to them. And the words of Psalm 46 come to my mind. It says, God, you are my refuge and strength. An ever-present help in times of trouble. So I will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the sea. Because God, you are my refuge and strength. Forever you'll abide with me. And right now in the midst of the situation, that they would not fear. That your strength would be so evident in their lives surrounding them. So God, we pray for the Freeman family. Lord, we pray for our church family. Lord, that we would respond in beautiful ways to them in the midst of their pain. So, God, we lay them before you, thanking you, Lord, for what you are going to do in this situation, even though we don't understand it. And we just trust you now, and uh, we entrust them into your care right now. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it was a couple years ago. I ended a, a sermon. And uh, afterwards, as it happens here many times, you know, people came forward to talk to me. And there was this one guy I'd never talked to before. I'd never seen him before, actually. And I could see as he was walking down the aisle that he wasn't doing all that well. And as he came towards me and he waited his turn kind of in line, he came up to me and he began to tell me about all his success. He actually told me about his intelligence, if you will. He's a very smart guy. He had all these degrees. He was degreed up. Very successful in his work and in his life, in terms of his work life, if you will. Then he looked at me and says, but with all my success, with all my intelligence, why is my life such a mess? Why is it such a mess? He told me that his children would no longer speak to him. He had a wife who wanted nothing to do with him because of the result of several of his decisions that he had made over time. And his basic question for me that day was, you know what, I know that I'm smart, but how can I become wise? Because I'm not wise, and I need wisdom in my life. See, studies show, and it's important, I think, for everyone to realize this. We talk about pain in our lives, that a majority of pain we experience in our lives is self-induced by our own choices. And so what James writes to us about today is, how do we know we're wise? How does wisdom operate? How do, we, how do we do this? And so as we explore this subject matter today, I'm going to be co-teaching with John Michael. And he is one of our volunteer leaders in the Epic Ministry. And we're going to be doing this from time to time as a church, bringing the whole church together, worshiping together as the band led us. Some of our Epic students were up front. And we're going to be learning as well from some of the leaders there. And John Michael is one of our volunteer leaders. And I had a chance to kind of witness him teaching a couple of different times. I thought what a great opportunity it would be for all of us, especially parents out there, to kind of learn a bit from someone who's teaching your students. And so as we dive into the subject, how do we know if we're wise? Please join me in welcoming John Michael here this morning. Uh, <laughs> this view is very different. This is different. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, I hope everybody had an awesome Thanksgiving. But as we dive in and we talk about what wisdom really looks like, I want to give you a little bit of context as we walk this out. Uh, so we're in James and we're in chapter 3. And we're starting, uh, we're going to be in verses 13 through 18. But to give you a little bit of context, backstory, verses 1 uh, through 12. Uh, so essentially James, Jesus' own brother, uh, is writing here, and he's addressing one of the churches there, and he's establishing this general principle uh, that small things can cause great results. 
And, and he's got a lot of metaphors in it as well as we go through verses, uh, the second half of verse 5 and through 12. Uh, he speaks more, more specifically uh, about how uh, the power of the tongue uh, and what it can do to actually destroy and how much power is in that. Uh, and most, <laughs> what I recognize most here uh, is verses 9 and 10. And he says, uh, with it, talking about the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. So with that being said, who is ready to talk about wisdom? Right? right? Challenging right from the jump. But here we go. Uh, Starting in James chapter 3, verse 13. And it reads, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And so James poses a very, very interesting question here because uh, it's actually deeper than it really appears. And, and as we work through this, uh, I want to pose to you guys that one of the ways that we know, we know that we're wise is that our works expose our wisdom. So James is asking these people to, hey, step up. If you think that you're wise, you think that you have wisdom, step up and stake your claim. Uh, Because oftentimes, uh, even in our culture today, there are many, many confused people who like to step up and talk about things that they have never even lived. For a quick example, I played football my entire life uh, from age six, five or six, all the way through college. I played defensive line. And I very much enjoy watching football on Sundays. Do I have any other armchair quarterbacks out there? Okay, never played one down of, of quarterback in my life. But I'll tell you this. Every time the quarterback drops back, I get so excited and he makes the right pass. I'm like, yes, that's exactly what you were supposed to do. Way to go. And then he makes that throw where he throws it in. What were you thinking? Oh, what is that? And if you don't believe me, the chances are you're sitting very close to a Bengals fan. Right? Right? And you've gone through this same anguish with Andy Dalton for three or four years, except for this year where he's balling. But you've been like, oh, Andy, please don't. Okay, good job, good job. Andy, oh. It's, a, it's like a crazy cycle, and it's sickening, and it hurts. And even for those who can't relate with football, think about in your own homes, in your own kitchen, probably during Thanksgiving. There's probably someone in your kitchen that probably if you handed them a pack of ramen noodles, they couldn't make them. But they've got the nerve to talk about the seasoning that you put on the turkey and how it's not quite right. And those mashed potatoes aren't exactly how mama used to make them, right? And that's the thing, that, that's the unfortunate truth about the culture that we live in today. We're incredibly comfortable when expertise is separated from practice. We're totally okay with accepting the word of people who haven't done anything to prove credible. So you may be thinking, you know what? I think it's possible for a Christian to know a lot about the Bible, and that makes them wise. And you might also be thinking, you know what? People with a great deal of knowledge about a specific topic can help me make a decision uh, when it comes to my life. James says this in James chapter 1, verse 22. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Scripture knows nothing about theoretical wisdom apart from applied wisdom. So there's no such thing about, oh, yeah, this is a good thought about wisdom, but not walking it out because that's not wise in itself. It's taking the scriptures, 
one's understanding of God, the promptings of the Holy Spirit, and applying it to your life. So wisdom doesn't just talk. But wisdom walks. Wisdom has hands and wisdom has feet. And wisdom goes to work. When wisdom enters the room, it doesn't come in beating its chest. Saying, here I am, everybody. Hello. It comes in gentleness and it comes in humility. So oftentimes, our works expose our wisdom when we put others first on a regular basis. Our works also expose our wisdom when we speak the truth in love and don't separate the two. When you speak the truth in love, you're not worried about people's feelings. You're worried about saving souls. You're worried about loving on people because that's more important. Our works expose our wisdom when we see a need and we meet that need. James is reminding us here right now that wisdom is not what you know and it's not totally what you say, but it's about what you do. So don't speak about it. Be about it. That's how our works expose our wisdom. So our works expose our wisdom. And then James begins to teach us a second lesson. That our ways expose our wisdom. Our ways expose our wisdom. You see, there's ways about us. That make us unique. The way that we operate, the way that we respond to people, the way that we talk. uh, All these various ways about us that make us and separate us from other people. These are our ways. And our ways expose our wisdom. And you've seen this before. For example, we've got Epic here and you probably have people who have been dating or you go out on a first date. Or people who have dated before years ago. And you remember that bad first date you had. You might have had a couple of those. Amen. We got one down here. Okay. All right, don't mention any names, please. And, you know, the reality is you go out with that person because you think, man, this, this, there's potential here. And so you get yourself ready, you get yourself dressed, you're, you're looking great. And you go out on this first date, and an hour later, you want to go home, right? I mean, you want out of that situation because of that person's ways, just the ways about them, how they operate. In the same way, James says, our ways expose our wisdom. And he writes these words. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy... And selfish ambition, listen to those words, bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. And so what James is doing is he's painting a picture for us. And I want you to think about it this way. Basically, as he's writing these words, and we're going to take a look at some words that follow. He's basically saying, okay, what is your life like? Is your life like a raging river? Is it like that? Or is your life a peaceful river? What is your life like? And as he begins writing about this, what he does, he begins describing the raging river. And he defines it as the way of the earth or earthly wisdom. And a raging river lifestyle, an earthly wisdom lifestyle, manifests itself in two key ways. And it's two key ways that our culture embraces every single day. Two attributes. One would be this, that you're defined by your jealous words. And you've probably heard some of these words before, like, why do they get all the lucky breaks? You know, I'd be successful too if, you know, if, if I had their abilities. 
You know, why do I got to work so hard all the time to get any attention at all? See, earthly wisdom is the lie that keeps on giving. Earthly wisdom tells you that, you know what, anything is possible in your life as long as you get the break that you deserve. You see, jealousy is all about me. It's all about me. It's all about my rights, my position, my reputation, my preferences, my desires, my ability. It's about what I want and what I crave. What I desire that you don't have, what you have that I wish were mine. Jealousy is all about me, and we fall prey to this in our lives. And when we do this, we become a raging river. I remember some years ago when I was in Lansing, I worked with area pastors there. And uh, I just had a great time doing that. But there was one pastor that just astounded me. And you could literally tell this guy two minutes before he's going to get up that he's actually going to preach. And you could give him the sermon topic and he could come up front and he could just light the place on fire without any preparation at all. He could go for 30 minutes. This guy was amazing. And I remember looking at him going, man, like, why can't I be like that? I mean, why do I have to prepare when he doesn't have to prepare? I mean, why can he do this and I can't? And jealousy begins to creep in. And we do this in our lives, don't we? The way that somebody looks. Something that somebody has. And this is the wisdom of this earth. To kind of go after what somebody has. But the reality, and James writes about this, that jealousy runs completely contrary to the royal law that he writes about earlier in his letter. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the reality is it's impossible for you to love your neighbor as yourself when you want what your neighbor has. Jealousy is all about me. It's one of the key attributes to earthly wisdom, to a raging river lifestyle. And then he says there's a second attribute here, and it's called selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. In fact, in the Greek, it literally means to spin the wool and to work harder at it than you really should in order for you to get ahead of everyone else and to promote yourself above everyone else. And this is our lifestyle. This is our culture. This is earthly wisdom. And somebody who embraces this, of course, is known for their self-ambitious words. You know, I deserve better opportunities. I deserve more recognition. I deserve better than I've got. I deserve a position that at least matches my impressive skill level. And these are the words we tell ourselves or sometimes we actually say to other people. See, selfish ambition places me at the center. Selfish ambition is all about me promoting myself. Me making sure that you're ambitious for my cause as well. And me making sure that you know my name so that I can increase my reputation. See, earthly wisdom takes a look at this selfish ambition. It says this is just the way that it is. It's the natural way to live. In fact, it's actually essential for living. And to this, James looks at this selfish ambition. And what does he call it? He calls it unspiritual and demonic. Incredibly strong words. And he calls it unspiritual and demonic because the reality is when my, when my compelling desire is my comfort, my honor, my way, my preference, somebody else is going to have to lose out in a big way in order for me to get what I think I deserve. And in my pursuit of what I think I deserve, I'm also going to embrace a bunch of other things as well that aren't all that good. I'm going to embrace slander in order to set myself up a little higher than somebody else. I'm going to manipulate the situation in order to make sure I succeed. I might embrace deceit, complaining, arguing, and anger. 
You see, when loving others and, and putting others first is treated only as a biblical suggestion rather than a biblical mandate, disorder, chaos, a raging river will be the result in our lives. I have a mentor in my life. I think I might have talked about him one time before. He's an old man now. He was actually in, uh, in Africa for 10 years as a missionary. He moved over back to Michigan where I was, and we served together. Uh, not long after that, his wife passed away. And a couple years later, a woman in our church, her husband passed away. And so now this, this missionary from Africa that um, I know, he ends up marrying this woman from our church who is a billionaire. And so now this missionary from Africa is on these private jets flying all over the world, having dinners and lunches with people that we see on TV on a regular basis. This is his life, okay? And he says, you know, Phil, I'll sit at a table with six or eight people with that person you see on TV, and everyone is trying their best to make sure that they get the attention, make sure that person's impressed with them. He says, I found myself doing exactly the same thing. And then I looked at my behavior, and he says, you know what? I, I, I finally realized that I can't learn anything when I'm the only one talking. And so now I just kind of sit back, and I wait to be called upon, and then I'll actually say something. And what he did is he set aside his selfish ambition in order to embrace peace. Peace. James writes, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so he moves from talking about this raging river to this peaceful river. And what does a peaceful river look like? Let's take a look. So it's really interesting because when you think about this peaceful river uh, that James is alluding to here, um, I get this picture of, of like a warm, sunny day in November. It's really hard to come by, <laughs> right? And that's exactly what, what that's like in our lives in terms of that, that peace that we so often crave, that we seek. Uh, and so if we're looking at, uh, again, unpacking what James is talking about here, we look at the way of heaven uh, and godly wisdom first begins with purity. And if we're thinking of purity, we can think of it as uh, the seeds of a tree. And so if we're, if we're talking about eventually reaping this harvest, uh, you know, wisdom that finds its origin in God is pure because God himself is pure. So the reason why the churches that James wrote to. Even so many churches today struggle so much with this or face so much turmoil is that there are Christians, genuine, well-meaning, yes, the Lord is my savior. He's my shepherd. I shall not want Christians who place, who say that they place God on the throne, oftentimes throw a coup against him, knock him off his throne and take a nice comfortable seat at the head. And oftentimes... That's a problem. So we do it on a daily basis. And like Paul said, I can't point that out in anybody else unless I recognize it in myself. I recognize that I am the chief of sinners. I mess up on a daily basis. And too often, my world revolves around a few things. My free time, which I don't get much of anymore with a wife and two daughters. My happiness, my goals, and my desires. It's easy to see at that point when my entire world revolves around me, it's easy to see who God is in my life. God is me. I'm God. I'm king. I run things. 
I'm on the throne and I'm no longer the chief of sinners. I'm just the chief now. <laughs> Quick example. So when I walk, when I work all day, come home to my family and I have free time with my daughters right before they go to bed. But instead, like all that they want to do is come and they want to play with daddy. And instead of me taking the time to play with them, I want to catch up on some TV shows that I've missed out on. It's all about me. When there's an opportunity to serve at church, but I'd rather work overtime so that I can further my career and put my career over God's people, it's all about me. When the pastor says something that's written plainly in God's word and I get upset because I feel like it wrecks my happiness or my routine, it's all about me. And oftentimes when I play God, I can't experience peace because I'm living in direct opposition to the God who provides peace. And so you think of it as this. One who embraces earthly wisdom will make much of self and little of God. But one who embraces heavenly wisdom will make much of God and little of self. So the question becomes, who are you really worshiping? Who are you really living for? Is it God? Because if it is, then this purity that's mentioned by James, which means to be clean of the mess of selfishness, will naturally be mixed with the attribute that's to follow, which is peace. So we have purity as our seeds, and you can think of peace as being the roots. And it's hard because when I think about roots, think about things that when you have plants that are reaching, reaching down and reaching and trying to get as much moisture and earth as they can so that it can grow. And oftentimes, that's exactly the way we operate with trying to get peace in our lives. We work so incredibly hard to get this peace. And as soon as we're to this place where we feel like we're almost there, there's something or someone that comes along and it wrecks us. Disturbs us from all that peace that we were trying to get. When a potential relational conflict comes your way, you basically have two options. You can either do everything you can to win You can do everything you can to bring about peace. You can categorize it like this. You can either do everything you can to have the need to be right. Or you can do everything you can to have the need to get it right. Proverbs says this, and it's really hard to talk about wisdom without bringing up Proverbs. Uh, But Proverbs chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. And oftentimes when I think of this very concept, I think of my uh, dear friend, Daniel McKee, senior high pastor here with Epic. And and he uh, preached earlier this month, uh, the beginning of the month, I believe, uh, in the We Are series. And he said this, and it struck me to this day. And it says this, arguments create winners and losers. Conversations create relationships. We're looking at purity being our seeds, peace being our roots. Then we can look at this next next aspect that James brings up as being the base of the tree. And that's reasonableness. Many times people lack the self-confidence needed to take somebody else's advice. And if you're not open to advice, then chances are you're not going to grow. You can't embrace godly wisdom, and that's a problem in itself. This is why scripture states in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. And that begs the question, who's in your inner circle? 
Who are the people that you trust? Why is this man that I know? It's my adopted father. Since I've been here in Cincinnati, he's taken me in as his own, and I love him dearly. His name's Four Taylor. And he introduced to me this concept of a bumper buddy. You need people in your life who are going to share the truth with you no matter what. So that when, as we're walking out this Christian faith, as we're walking out this path, anytime that you start to veer, you need that person that's going to help bump you back onto the right path. Even if it hurts, even if it's not fun, they're not going to sacrifice your soul for your feelings. So again, as we keep moving, if purity is our seeds, peace is our roots, reasonableness is the base of the tree, then we can think as of, of the branches or some of the branches as mercy. Did you guys ever notice how quick we are to receive God's grace, his mercy and his favor? But how slow and sometimes downright opposed we are to give that out to other people? I know I, I, know I do it often. And if you struggle with trying to grasp that, let me ask this. Do you ever remind others of their past mistakes? Do you use guilt to motivate someone to do what you want? Do you get verbally harsh with people who wrong you? In most of these instances, the world will tell you, you know what, that's okay. Earthly wisdom says you've got to do what you've got to do to get by. James is saying that's not the case because on the other hand, heavenly wisdom is going to embrace this. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Fact is, if you desire wisdom and the peace that comes along with that, then you're not going to rub it in somebody's face. You're going to choose to rub it out. Let it go. Offer that same grace that's been so graciously offered to you. Because Jesus' death and resurrection brought that to us freely. Have you ever thought about where you'd be without that grace, without that mercy? So why would we withhold that from other people? The ability to show mercy will naturally lead a Christian to embrace another branch here on our tree, which is the sincerity. And it's really cool that I get to share this because the Epic community is here with us today. And I get to talk with these kids often. I've done it for about the last six years now, six, seven years since we've been here in Cincinnati. And it's really cool because they are incredibly busy. Literally, some of them get up at six in the morning and they don't get done until about 930 at night. I know some of these kids who are more busy than their parents. They have FCA in the morning, Future Leaders of America, band, Eagle Scouts, Girl Scouts, football, Everything in between, they have it and they got it going on and they're incredibly busy. And the one thing they find that's probably one of their biggest challenges is representing Jesus in all these arenas, right? And it's crazy because they get to this point <laughs> and it's really easy to do it at church, to have the, have the look, have the face at church. But what about in the locker room? Like I said before, I play football all my life and I know the jokes and the vibe that's in the locker room and it's not pleasant. And I know that it's not easy. What about in the classroom when you feel like you're the only Christian in your school? Is it easy to still have that face that says, you know what, I'm going to shine for Jesus regardless? What about at home when it feels like <laughs> your mom is your brother's biggest fan and you haven't seen your dad since Monday? 
What about with your friends? When they invite you to that party that you know is going to have a whole lot of stuff that you don't even need to be around, but you want to go just to hang. What about with that really cute girl or that really hot guy that you've been hoping would notice you before Christmas break? So when they notice you, then what? You're going to start a Bible study? <laughs> have, have some prayer breakfasts? Really get close to the Lord, right? Right? And so that's the thing. We get caught and we get extremely exhausted trying to juggle all these masks. And we get going and at some point we come to the fact of recognizing, you know what? I don't even know who I am anymore. Who am I? Another really interesting example of this. There's this ancient city in Caesarea on the sea. And in this ancient city, there still stands a theater that can seat about 3,500 people. At the time, the actors would play different roles by holding different masks up to their faces. One person could play five or six roles in a performance. And do you know what they call these people? In the Greek? Hypocrites. Hypocrites. <laughs> James says that if you want heavenly wisdom, you won't go through life acting. You won't go through life being a hypocrite because you will be open and honest in all things because you recognize that you're known and you're loved by God. Lastly, as we look here, if you saw all these attributes in your life, James says that you're going to produce a, har- produce a harvest of righteousness. The full tree sown in peace by those who make peace. And this is the legacy that brings peace rather than conflict. And the harvest that comes from peacemaking in the life of a Christ follower will be the righteous conduct that God will bless. And some of you might have this objections. Well, why can't I skip some of these attributes and still sow this kind of life? Fact is, it's all a process. Similar to the fruit of the spirit. Yes, the fruit, not the fruits. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit, it's all in one. You can't pick and choose these things that we see in Galatians 5 and verses 22 and 23. You can't pick and choose because you're either exhibiting them or you're not. There's no in-betweens. And there's no growth in trying to pick and choose. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. His death and resurrection has drawn us close to himself. And as he draws us closer to him, we get that wisdom. We grow in that wisdom. Not trying to act like we know it all, not trying to act like we have it all together, but fully recognizing what I really know is the fact that I don't know it all, but he controls it all. And that's embracing heavenly wisdom, recognizing that we don't have it under control, but we love and we worship the one who does Jesus Christ himself. And that is how we can know that we are wise when our ways expose our wisdom. So as we close out, let me just ask you, is your life a harvest of righteousness? You know that tree you got in your yard, the one that's beautiful and stands out above the others, the one that you took a picture of this past year because it was so astounding? Does your life look like that? Is it full? Is it beautiful? Or is it missing some things? You see, what James is trying to get us to understand is this, that the wisdom we sow is the wisdom we show. The wisdom we sow is the wisdom we show. So we need to be sowing these attributes that John Michael just been talking about. You know, these attributes of purity and peace, reasonableness, mercy, and sincerity. So take a look at your life. 
And right now, if you can just close your eyes right now, I just want you to, sh- to pray a short little prayer as we end our time together. Think about these attributes. Purity. What, what most do you need in your life? Purity. A true focus on God. You really need peace in your life. Reasonableness. Willingness to take advice from others. Mercy. Do you need to be willing to show that to others more? Or sincerity? What attribute do you need more than anything else? And then just say to God right now, just pray this simple prayer. God, help me grow in, and you fill in the blank. Help me grow in. God, it's our desire today that we'd be a, we'd be a peaceful river. Lord, that, that our life would be overflowing with beauty and fruit. So, Lord, the wisdom we sow is the wisdom we show. So help us to be a people who sow purity and peace and reasonableness and mercy and sincerity. And, Lord, the result of that in our lives would be something that's beautiful, not for ourselves. Not that people would look at us, but ultimately that people would be pointed and their direction would be pointed to you. And Lord, by the way that we're living our lives, the way that we display your godly wisdom, they'd want to know where that wisdom come from. And they would seek you in their life. So Lord, we thank you for our time together today. And as we step out into the world now, help us to be wise. Not in the way the world sees it, but in the way that you see it. And help us to set aside words like jealousy and selfish ambition. Help us to seek purity and peace and reasonableness and mercy and sincerity. That you ultimately would receive all the glory and the honor for it, God, we pray. In your name. And all God's people said, amen. Let's go out. Make it a great weekend. See you next weekend.